Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. I'm Debbie Ronka, your host. And you know, one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is I get to bring on guests that come and share their expertise. They come and share their knowledge on all of these different topics that I believe we've all experienced in life. We're either walking through them or we're in the process of walking through and sometimes we just want to have more information so we can have breakthrough. So today I am excited to have Shyla Webb and we're going to unpack together the topic of anxiety. And you know, just when I say that word, I'm just picturing and imagining how you're all feeling, even when you hear that word anxiety. You know, are you feeling like, yeah, I have that. I want to know more. And does it make you tense up? I just want to say to you, this is a time for you to really just sit down and get in a space to receive because Shyla is going to just come with a lot of knowledge and insight and things I know I've never heard before. And I know we're going to gain a lot from this time. You know, this is a topic I know we've all struggled with. We have family members, you know, life just has anxiety, right? That just kind of comes with it. And transitions, you know, we are the Transition Bridge podcast. Transitions bring anxiety because they're all about change. It's all about the unknown, like what is on the other side of that transition and, you know, trying to un unpack that for you so you can process transitions in a healthy and a whole way. So Shyla, she's the founder of Inner Matter, and she shows others how to just live a vibrant life in and out of the workplace by cultivating vulnerability, integrity, boundaries, resiliency, authenticity, nurturing, and thankfulness within themselves and with working with others. And she's so dedicated to guiding people on how to unlock their full potential in the areas of social, emotional, and mental health. So it's a real honor and privilege to have my friend as well, Shyla Webb. Shyla, welcome to the Transition Bridge podcast. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, someone that I admire so much. So thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. In fact, I have to go down memory lane just a bit. I think it was a couple years ago. We um, met each other for the first time in person after being on Zoom for over a year. And I still remember that moment <laughs> of just seeing you face to face. And it was, oh, so powerful. There's something so beautiful about connection, isn't there? <laughs> there absolutely is. Yes. I think that helps with anxiety. So, <laughs> you know. So Shyla, talk to us, um, unpack anxiety for us. Okay. I'd be happy to. So my background is really working in the education system and helping kids develop the right plans to respond to their anxiety and how it shows up in, in education. And so that's really where my expertise comes from in that evolved into working with adults. And when we look at anxiety, we have a social definition of anxiety. And then there's the medical side of anxiety. And I just want to be clear, I am not able to diagnose anxiety, but have studied it enough and pay attention to the DSM five criteria so that I can speak on it and develop the correct behavior plans that are needed so that people can be successful. Um, but when we look at social anxiety, I just want to talk about that. So there's different types of anxiety. There's more intense levels of anxiety there's long-term, there's generalized anxiety, meaning we feel anxiety all over across multiple contexts and environments. And then there's situational anxiety. So we might just experience it around a particular situation, around a particular person. And then there's just the anxiety that we get from maybe the first time that we give a speech or the first date that we're going to go on or it might be our kids leaving the home. And that's the type of anxiety that we want to talk about here today. 
so when I, when we look at anxiety, it's really just that fear, you know, it's, it's this, um, persevering worry that we have around something that is happening or we anticipate will happen or it has happened. Mm. So anxiety, when I work with clients, it's usually they're perseverating about the future, the what ifs could happen and thinking more worst case scenario, or they're looping, I call it or ruminating off of what happened. And they keep replaying this situation out in a more negative way. And they're worried about how someone might have perceived the situation. And so what is underlying worry is that fear. It's so interesting you say that. I have this quote here from William Shakespeare that says, present fears are less than horrible imaginings. It's like you said, we we imagine what's in the future, what's to come, and that's worse than the actual present fear sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think so when we look into anxiety, we have the cognitive effects. So that is our mind, the thoughts that we have around a situation, the stories that we're telling ourselves, the exaggerated fears, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then we have the physiological response to anxiety. So our palms may sweat, our heart races, we feel just on edge. And then there's the behavioral response to the product of anxiety. And so that looks more like um, we might pace, we might move really fast, we might feel rushed in order to get anything done. We have irritability, um, where our stress response system is really short. And so we might respond to someone in a way that we wouldn't normally respond. We're easily fatigued, as well as we can experience muscle tension. And then a, a common product of people that have more long-term ongoing intense anxiety is the inability to sleep or disrupted sleep patterns. Mm. I love that you're sharing that because one of the things that I do with transitions is I believe there's symptoms of being in transition that we may not recognize or connect to transition. So like burnout or just a loss of passion People will live in that space and not consider to think into that and go, gosh, could this be that I'm in transition or transitions trying to call me forth? I should pay attention. So are you thinking that this is similar with anxiety? You know, if you find you're like you're you're rushing around, you're irritable or um, your sleep patterns is is this like a. not a wake up call, but like an awareness for people to say, could I be anxious? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's worth always asking the question. And I know that as society, we have a lot of stigma around um, diagnosis and labels of anxiety, depression, or anything like that. And it's not something that we openly talk about, but it is often that we can talk about, we feel stressed or we feel nervous about a speech. So why can't we say, I feel nervous about this change that's happening in my life. And I think of, when I think of transition, that's exactly what you're saying is there's a big change happening in our lives. And with that, it changes the identity that we've always known. Mm. There should be fear with that because our bodies and our brains feel a sense of safety from patterns from the usual monotonous autopilot life that we live. If you think about it, we usually get ready for the day without even thinking about how we need to get ready for the day because we're in routine. But if I were to come in and disrupt that, or I think of a morning where my electricity all of a sudden went out and I can't have access to my hairdryer or there's no hot water because that's already been used. Now all of a sudden I get, I'm frantic. And I feel anxiety about whether or not I can get to work on time and I can do all the typical things that I want to do. So that's a little situation. But then when we look at, I want you to transfer that into like the big life changes of kids leave home or we have a divorce or a loss of a parent or anything like that. Those are bigger situations. And that's where we can expect the the anxiety through the grieving process to either surface multiple times, or it can be with us long-term and consistently. I think that there's nothing wrong with getting medical and professional help when we feel anxiety and it's long-term. When it begins to interfere with our daily lives, 
and our social activities and things like that, it's definitely time to get help. But prior to that, I think just opening up amongst friends or family members that you feel really connected with is a great way to start having that conversation. Most people are thankful when we own that we are feeling anxiety around something because I know some of my friends are like, oh my gosh, you actually feel that? Because they see me as such a calm, balanced, centered person. <laughs> and so when I get the chance to own it, it they feel connected with me as well. And it just helps the human experience and helps us deeply connect with one another. That is so true because we can... Um tend to want to be strong, right? And and not mm-hmm. even share that we're anxious. But anxiety just seems to be a part of life. Because I love when you were talking about the electricity and the hair, it's like all of a sudden, like we have to adjust. So it's all about adjustment, everything that suddenly changes, anything that we're that will change that we know is coming, it's all adjusting. I love how you talk called out the identity. Who are we in this new place? You know, when I think about um, transitions like in loss, like sudden loss of health, or, you know, you may get a diagnosis of your health and it will change your life. That's a major adjustment that comes with major anxiety. Who will I be in that next season? What will my life be like? You know, and... I know you mentioned like divorce, like losing a marriage and like now you're suddenly single. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety. So what would you say, like if someone were to come to you, like I know you you talked about um, developing plans based on where that person is in their anxiety or their situational thing going on in life. How do you help people with that? I think the very first step is to identify what is the story that we're telling ourselves? What is happening with our system in relation to that? So in part of my yoga and mindfulness training, it is all about being present in the very moment as it is and really accessing all the senses as they are. But with anxiety, we're relating to the past and the future. And so it's connecting someone to see where are they at? in their mind. So our bodies don't know the difference between the reality and the fake. If I were to bring you through a meditation of this big grizzly bear chasing you in the woods and you have a fear around grizzly bears, you are bound to have a very intense physiological response as relation to that. Same thing with people that are afraid of heights. If they even think of heights, they have a strong physiological response. So it's really connecting Um, the person to see what is the story that they're telling themselves? What are the thoughts that they're having and identifying those common patterns? That's the very first part. Then what is the physiological response? So how is my body responding to all of this? When I get them to accept that part, then we can start working on the behavioral part. It's really hard to start with the behavioral part because no one wants to hear that part of themselves. You know, I think it's one of the toughest things to hear is that We can be difficult to be around from, you know, especially if we're with the people that we love or to hear it from them. And so we start with the internal piece (laughs) (laughs) and then we get to the owning of the behavior. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I really do that seriously. (laughs) So that that's where we start. Well, that's good. I like that plan because you have to acknowledge first what you're anxious about before you can even have a plan to fix that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then once we become aware with it and the, the research around emotions really is that if we name it, we tame it. So meaning our emotions, they're meant to rise up to the surface, give us information around a situation. And they're really meant to flow through our system. Like, ah, yeah, there you are. I see you, I hear you, I feel you, especially. And now you can go. Thanks for giving me that information. I'll use it. What happens when these emotions surface, especially if they're more intense, we end up perseverating on it or we can grip onto it. And then it makes a home within our bodies. 
And so when we start to even just label it and own that this is where we're at right there, people, I'll see their shoulders literally just relax and fall like, ah, I can finally say it. Oh, can you give us an example of that? Um, One example is a client that I had been working with for quite some time, had stress about work and it was just all the things that were on her plate and how to prioritize and just how to get everything done in one day, right? Or in the, in the course of a week. And we were working on workload tips and all of that and just really prioritizing everything that was happening to reduce the stress. Somehow in that conversation, what came out was financially, she was struggling and she was struggling for quite some time. But that was one of those things that she didn't come to me to work on and didn't think to own it or say it. And once all of a sudden that came out in the course of our time together, that it was more of the financial piece and she had been intentionally in avoiding it. So the financial problems were growing bigger or her lack of awareness around what to do was growing bigger because anxiety will cause us to hide and not even face it. And so once all of a sudden that came out, literally physically, I saw her shoulders just relax and drop. And she was able to start focusing more on that. end. And once she faced the anxiety around the financial piece, every area of her life started working its way and, and for the positive. So it's like finding the key. Mm-hmm. It's like finding yeah. that key. And like getting down thought? to the root of what it really, really is. That makes a, I, and that's what I love to do. I think um, I have this video series called uh, The Roots and Reasons behind the way we act, feel, and behave. There really are. So I love that you do that too with your work with anxiety. So is there another step to the plan or? Yeah, once we start um, identifying where we're at and labeling it, then it's what what do we do next? So it might be um, some pre-planning, some proactive work. And I say with proactive work, I think one of the, the healthiest ways that we can combat anxiety is to learn how to be present in this very moment, mm-hmm. accessing all of those sensory areas that we can. So one way that we can do this, if we find ourselves really caught off guard and looping, um, I like the activity of the five, four, three, two, one activity where it's, you know, take a look around in your environment. And I would say get in a relaxed position, or if you are someone that likes to sit straight up and down, make sure that your feet are flat on the floor. This comes from the yoga piece. It just really sends a message to our brain that our, our bodies are on stable ground and that we are safe. Now, if you don't have both feet or legs, um, what you do is you connect with sit bones on, on the pad of your seat, or for some reason you can't touch the ground. So then just go ahead and open your eyes and take a look and label five things that you can see in your environment right now. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just do it in your mind. Then go through four things that you can feel. So really taking your hands, touching the different textures around you, even connecting with your own hands. When I go up and do public speaking, what I have to do at first is I drive my nails, my nail tips into my fingertips because it takes me out of a typical pattern. And it's a feeling sensory. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Then the next thing we do is we connect with three things that we can hear. So any three things in the environment that you can hear, it'll really ground you. Two things you can smell. And then one thing that you can taste. And if there's something that you can't connect with there, I always say, take a deep breath. So what that does is it actually distracts our brain from the pattern that it's operating off of. It goes into autopilot if we don't control it. And that's part of that amygdala, the survival mechanism within our brain, where it'll put us into fight, flight, freeze. And there's a new one called fawn, where where it's kind of like please and appease part. That comes from a lot of people that have had severe trauma or abuse in their earlier years. But what will happen is when we feel anxious or a sense of unsafety, which is the result of some anxiety, um, we will go into one of those modes. And we usually always have one default. Sometimes we can do a couple 
at the, you know, at a time, but most of the time we all have one that we really access the majority of the time. So this type of activity that five, four, three, two, one can really pull us out of that state and ground us into our surroundings right here, right now. Now, sometimes if you've been operating off of this style of thinking for quite a while, you might have to do this type of activity over and over and over. But honestly, your brain is not capable of thinking of multiple things at the same time. We think that it is, but it really isn't in the, in the conscious mind. So if you, if you ground yourself here, it can't keep playing back, you know, from yesterday or future thinking. I'm glad that I was just going to ask you if that's something you should do like every day. So I guess it just depends on your level of anxiety or the, the length of time you've been walking in anxiety. Yeah. So when I first started mindfulness practice, um, one of the two activities that helped me the most were constantly labeling everything that I was doing. So if I was folding laundry, I would say blue pants and I would just label to myself fold it, um, feel the, you know, soft texture, rough texture, um, white little, you know, pajama for my boys, or just constantly like bringing myself to the very present moment um, with every little piece of laundry that I folded or every dish that I washed or anything that I did, got in my white car, put each boy in the chair. I mean, it was constantly like almost like elementary level labeling but that is what took me away from all the anticipation that I had of the day. Like, otherwise, what I was doing previous to that is I was worrying about all the things that I had to get done at work that day and all the things that I had to accomplish and not feeling like I had, a, had enough time. We usually, with anxiety, we usually are in the scarcity mindset. So there's not enough. There's not enough of time, not enough money, not enough safety. There's not enough energy, not enough of something, not enough love. I never connected the scarcity mindset with anxiety. Ah, yeah, that's so true. I'm just sitting here thinking about that's what causes not enough, right? That's what causes that anxiety. Yeah, it usually triggers that fear response system. And so it was interesting because even within my mindfulness practice of that labeling, like I said, and I went really elementary. Now, I didn't say it out loud, but there were some moments in my life I had to even speak it. And, you know, my, my husband at the time knew that that's what I was doing. And so, but I don't care if people laugh at me for things like that. I'm, you know, me, I'm always trying different things and unique things to see. Does it really work? Um, but with that, I had improved. I remember it used to always take me at least an hour to get ready. And just by doing that simple trick alone, I shaved 20 minutes off my morning routine. 20 minutes. Really? That was a game changer. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I had been thinking about other things and really had lost efficiency and effectiveness in what I was doing at that moment, because I was trying to think of all sorts of other things that weren't even relevant to the actual moment. Yeah, my memory improved significantly, my sleep improved, just even my overall sense of joy in the moment. And even those really, really tough moments improved. That's, you know, that's just so powerful to think, you know, if we're just present, even in the simple things, gosh, that you would actually shave off 20 minutes of your, your morning routine. I guess that really goes to show how much our mind wanders. If, if we don't bring it into, if we don't, you know, discipline it to be where we're at. Yeah. And I guess that's where we go. Yeah. And we go into the future and we borrow trouble. I wanted to ask you, you had said something earlier about people are either in the past or they're thinking about their future. Is there a percentage of people in either place? Um, like more people think in the past and the future, or is it irrelevant? No, I think it's irrelevant. You know, I have never looked at the statistics and I'm not sure how they would even get that accurate data. I know that um, we have, you know, I've done some mindful Monday stats. I write an email every Monday about a mindfulness tip. And so some of those statistics, we can have anywhere from four to 6,000 thoughts in a day and how they get that. I, I don't know, you know, at an accurate level. 
Um, I, I know that much, but I'm not really sure. I know since the pandemic, anxiety and depression has increased about 25% across the population, which is pretty significant. And we need to be talking about that and how the pandemic has really impacted us and whether or not it is creating, you know, it, it, it challenged all of our identities and all the life that we knew every single one of us across the world and how many, how many of us are still living with that fear and operating off of that fear response system today. That's so true. Cause that fear was deeply embedded, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. in all of us and, and for a, a long period of time, cause there was so much unknown, consistent unknown yeah. uh, fear for our health, our, our families. Yeah. Have you helped anybody walking through that? Any students or families? Oh, yeah. So since the pandemic, I've actually partnered up with a man named Jonathan George, who does some training with teenagers more in the music industry and was working and doing some public speaking in the school system. And so what we did is we developed a secondary level program to combat the anxiety, depression, and suicide, because suicide is greatly on the rise too, particularly among the youth. It was pre-pandemic and is now even more so since the pandemic. So we developed a program that is real vibrant to support all the way up from the administrators to the teachers, to the students, and to the parents, a program called Rock My Campus, and it's a social emotional learning program. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Oh, and do you travel with this or how do people find out if they want you to come to their school? Do you go to schools? We do. Yep. We travel, we go right on site. And so we do what we have is rock shops. And so we work directly with all the staff. Like I said, the administration, the administration has to do the work too. So it's the teachers doing their own personal work, the the administration doing their personal work, as well as the students, because we really can't help anyone else unless we can help ourselves and totally understand ourselves. So that's where it starts. And yeah, you can find us on rockmycampus.com. If you go on there and just fill out the form, well, one of us will contact you to get in touch with you. But yep, we're right on site. And it's meant to be as simple as we can come in for a couple of rock shops or support the school all year long. And we measure progress. We guarantee that we get progress. Um, It's been really fun because what we've done is So one of the results of anxiety and depression really comes from not feeling like we have a sense of purpose and mission in life. And so one of the first places we start again, you know, transitions, what do they do? They question our entire identity and what we've always known. And so one of the very first places that we start when we go on site is we work with the individuals to develop their own purpose statement. And so it's pretty neat because we'll see Kids, for example, um, and this is teenagers. So when we first ask them, why are you here at school? What's your purpose at school? And it, we'll get common answers like, because it's the law. My parents said I have to come because <laughs> I get to socialize with friends. <laughs> and then just even after like an hour or two of working with them, their statement could, um, evolves into, I come to school to connect with others to learn so I can be a good human being when I get, you know, when I graduate, or it might be, I come to school to help um, make this world a better place. I come to school to, you know, make my friends laugh and smile and make sure that they're healthy too. So it's really cool. Like it evolves from this, like I have to, to now I'm empowered. (laughs) It's the law, but now I'm empowered. I think that is so great. So one of the things that I love that you do, Shyla, is you really do help people um, become aware of the potential that they already have within them, but they don't recognize or no one's nurturing them and pulling that out. Like, I just think that's so critical, especially for children. If you don't have someone telling you who you are, what you're capable of and pulling that potential out, you never understand purpose or life and just will go anonymously through life. So I love that you do that. Thank you. Yeah. And I can personally relate to what you shared the spring of my seventh grade year. um, My stepdad had been really sick with cancer and 
they came, the woman um, from the office came to get me at lunchtime and said, your mom's best friend is here to take you to the hospital. Oh. And yeah, I, I went up to the hospital and it was his last day. Unfortunately, we made it in time and I was able to say my last goodbyes and I love you. Um, but what happened next was really, you know, looking back at the, you know, now it, it's probably been one of the gifts that has been able to help me understand and help people the way that I have, because that year was April 25th. Remember mm-hmm. it, you know, so clearly. And, you know, when I returned, many people had checked in to see how I was doing. Well, then the school year came to an end, right at, you know, the end of May came back in the fall and no one checked in. And my entire life at that age, you know, 13, your brain can't even conceptualize death, that it's a forever thing. I remember still feeling like one day he's going to show back up. Yeah. He's going to be here. My mom's going to be healthy again, or, you know, the family's going to be together again. And as time went on, of course, the reality starts sinking in more. And I was one of those kids that flew under the radar and struggled with that anxiety because what does this mean for my life now? The rock of the family of this part of my family is now gone. Mm. So how does that look? And it affected me in so many ways. But because I was able to get through school with decent grades, smart enough, I could sleep through class, but still do all my work and and pass the test. And I'm smiley. I went completely unrecognized in that area. And, and while I, you know, I wish someone would have noticed and intervened and just loved up on, you know, the aching part of me in hindsight, it was such a gift because I suffered And I suffered through those years. And back then they didn't diagnose, they didn't medicate like they do now. True. And so that's how I found the natural ways in which we can combat these issues that we have in our lives. I was able to get into like breathing. What breathing correctly is one of the biggest ways that we can combat anxiety or through our breath. We can slow down our heart rate. We can slow down our you know, even lower our blood pressure when we slow down our heart rate or our, our breathing, excuse me. The breathing. I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I wanted you to touch on that subject. But before we go there, I just have this question in my heart I want to ask you. And I think it may help um, other parents that are listening. You know, you're so right. We should never assume that a child's okay just by, oh, she's smiling, her grades are good, she's not being affected, she must be doing well, and not actually show up or step in. So I'm going to ask you a personal question. What do you remember at that time in your life, your your seventh grade heart, what question would you have wanted someone to ask you? Oh. My first one is to say, how are you doing? But honestly, I would not have answered them. Honestly, <laughs> I just said, honestly, I would not have answered them. Honestly, truly, I, I would not. I would have said I'm doing okay or I'm doing fine. And they say one of the best times to have a conversation with a teenager. And I find this even with my own kids that are eight and nine are when you're in the car and you're not face to face with them. So if you want to have a difficult mm. conversation, get them talking while you're driving Um, they feel a lot less threatened. So I think that I don't know if it would have been a question. I think having someone acknowledge the life transition that I was going through and the pain that I could possibly feel would have been a game changer for me. Like, I just feel so seen and heard and someone that's, you know, here to nurture me. That's really good because sometimes just the question, are you okay, really doesn't go deep enough. It's it's more recognizing or giving voice to the pain of, I know this is really hard losing your stepdad and you're probably wondering what's going to happen. Like maybe give voice to the questions that you really do have without you having to say them. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to cover that because I just felt like that was a moment um, 
that we can all learn from, like how we can help our, like my own grandchildren, you know, instead of like assuming go a little deeper or, you know, parents with their children, we can all learn from that, that moment in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that it is an important question to ask. And I think anytime that we work with, whether it's, I work with adults or the young kids all the way to pre-K I'm, I'm out working with, with them all. And, um, I actually uncover their worries. That's a lot of the work that we do. What are the fears that you have right now? And how do we address that in the school system or whether it's your place of business that I'm working with? And what I found is, so I think of like when I was little and I said, it's cold. My parents might say, it's not cold. Well, I I'm telling you, I'm cold, you know, like, don't <laughs> it's real to me. me. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's a real deal. <laughs> so I think that we need to affirm and validate, even though it's not our experience with everything in life. So if someone says that's really difficult, we need to affirm and validate. And it doesn't mean we have to agree with them. We just honor the fact that they're saying it's difficult and we hear that. And then it might be the follow-up question. Well, how can I support you? Or what do you need from me? Sure. Just being seen and heard. Like, like you said, we may not understand it or agree, but if it's real to them, it's real. And so we just have to affirm. Oh, yeah. that's so beautiful. So I would love us to cover the breathing. Um, I have this quote here. Slow breathing is like an anchor in the midst of an emotional storm. The anchor won't make the storm go away, but it will hold you steady until it passes. That's so, very true. That's beautiful. Who wrote that one? Do you that know? is from Russ Harris. Okay. So, Powerful. you know, and I, I found that quote and I thought, yeah, because breathing is so much a part of dealing with our anxiety. So, you know, share with us about that and give us some tips or, you know, however you want to do with the breathing. Yeah. So let's just talk about our body's autonomic nervous system. So it just goes into autopilot anytime we experience something, whether it's joy, sadness, anger, all of that. We just, unless we are super conscious and aware of everything, we are just going to operate as we typically operate. So with anxiety, we talked about the physiological response might be the heart racing, the palm sweating, anything like that. The blood pressure actually increases. We know that, um, you know, medically. And so with our breathing, if we can slow it down, and I think one of the easiest ways to slow it down, okay, I need to back up. So with that physiological response, our breath automatically adjusts accordingly. So our breath will shorten it'll actually become irregular in response to situations, you know, stressful situations or situations that might be causing anxiety and anxious response in us. And it does that to get our adrenaline pumping and to go, as we go into that fight flight or freeze mode, our breath might actually pause. So it's really interesting when I do retreats and I have people assess their breath for the first time, I usually always have a few people and it tends to be more women than males in this area. And women are generally more affected by anxiety, a considerable amount than men are, but they will say, they'll notice like, I didn't breathe. I forgot to breathe for about 30 seconds. So that's that freeze response where we just forget to breathe. Something just stuns us so much that we, we don't do anything. <laughs> So we take for granted because breathing is so automatic. We take for granted that it's doing its thing. And the reality is just like the mind you had said, will just really wander. So will our nervous system. And so one of the fastest ways to get control of that is through the breathing. So to slow it down is to close the mouth, breathe through your nose if you can. Now I understand some people have allergies, deviated symptoms or other reasons that they might not be able to do that. If that's the case, just pierce your lips a little bit so that you're just taking a little bit, or I've had some clients start breathing through a straw and trying it oh, that way. That's different. Yeah. 
Yeah. And really breathing through our nose will help um, grab anything in the environment, whether it's bacteria, viruses, you know, the nose hairs, well, it acts as a filter and we'll catch that to prevent it from going into our immune system. And who doesn't need that in the times of a pandemic right now? But really when we breathe through our nose, it slows down the airway and it's the inhale. And so one of the breaths that is known for helping anxiety is the four, seven, eight breath it's called. So it's really take an inhale for four seconds, then pause for seven seconds. And you can just do, I usually do just like a seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And the exhale for eight seconds, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So when we inhale and anything um, in the world of yoga, we count up and when we exhale or pause, we count down. And there's even some, some, yeah, there's some interesting behavioral science around when we're, um, you know, the back in the day, we used to say one, two, three as a parent. And by the third time our child's oh, yeah. going to respond, right? <laughs> by magic number three, they're going to have the response. <laughs> well, through all the behavior training and behavior de-escalation, it's actually recommended you count down because where the mind goes, the body will follow. So if I'm a, a caregiver and I'm counting down or even my own self for the breathing, if I'm counting down the stress response system, lowers with it. Very interesting. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the more it usually it takes about three to five breaths to reset our system or to start slowing it down the nervous, the physiological nervous responses that we can feel. And usually we can notice a change. Now, some people with more chronic anxiety, um, we might have to do additional strategies or you have to work at it longer. Do you recommend people do um, breathing routines like in the morning or in in the evening, or is this just when you're feeling stressed? No, I think it's something to do proactively all the time. So it's really, you know, getting into that breath assessment. How are you breathing? And then making an intention. So I have some clients that will set their alarms for three times a day to make sure that they are nasal breathing because they're such chronic mouth breathers. And that's all they've done for many years. That is an adjustment too. when you're so used to breathing one way, you know, you were making me thinking. So I guess on a a different note, I do ballroom dancing and it's very anxious, anxious. I get anxiety when I go out on the ballroom floor. Um, when there's like nine judges watching you dance and like tick, 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 all the things that you're doing or not doing. And I have noticed I stop, I don't breathe. And I'll be in the middle of like doing the Foxtrot or something. And it's like, Debbie, you're holding your breath. And like you start spinning and then you get dizzy. And it's like, I have to remind myself all the time to breathe. So that's like a simple thing, but it's so true. When we get anxious, we don't even realize that we sometimes stop breathing. Yeah. Or some people, when they start getting dizzy, what happens is they bring in so much oxygen and they're not exhaling. So you breathe in, but you're not really exhaling and you exhale just a little bit and then you breathe in more. And all of that will dysregulate our system and cause us to feel dizzy or disoriented or any of that. So it really is just finding a balance and even with between your inhale and your exhale as much as possible. But I'm curious when you're ballroom dancing and you have that, was there a thought that was connected to that? Or all of a sudden, did you feel a sense of judgment, maybe whether it was from the judges or pressure from the audience or anything like that? that may have triggered that freeze mode before I went on the floor or while I'm in the middle of dancing while you're in the middle of dancing. What I, what I notice, um, it's funny cause you know, I love dancing, but there's something about being out there that especially in ballroom, you have to really do it correctly because if you if I move forward and my partner's 
moving forward and I should have been moving backwards, you collide. And it's like so evident that you did something wrong. You can't cover that one up. (laughs) And um, so for me, the anxiety was like, oh my gosh, I hope I remember this step. So, um, and then I realized while I was dancing the mentally, I was not thinking as clear as to what patterns that I knew should be coming in that particular dance. So I think my breathing was not allowing my mental acuity to be there as strong as it needed to be. Cause then I realized you're not thinking. And then that would be, Oh, cause you're not breathing. Like I just real, if this is all happening really fast on the yeah. floor, but that, that was my connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's all correlated. And I think as you were saying that, so the behavior response to anxiety is we seek to control. We seek to gain control so that we can get the outcome that we desire. Ah, what if you let go of that outcome that you desire and just enjoy and flow with the moment? Perhaps would you perform even better as a result? I can tell you being a child that struggled with taking tests, I didn't elementary, but once those middle school, high school years came, and of course I had lost the parent and was dealing all sorts of things. I used to have chronic test anxiety, chronic. And I would study for hours and hours and was certain I was going to get an A and I would fail or get a D or, but then when I look at it, I'm like, I knew all these answers. Yet at the time, I did not perform very well at all. So I got to the point where I gave up and I didn't care anymore. I wasn't going to study for any test because it clearly didn't serve me well. Oh, goodness. Now, if I would have told my mom or dad that, that would not have gone over well. But the result was I ended up getting A's and B's on my tests. That. That I could, you know what? There is something about just letting go, letting go. So with kids that have the perfectionist tendency and or tendencies, and I think that there are times where a lot of anxiety is a cause of perfectionism. Like we have this, you know, expectation of ourselves, just these relentless standards of ourselves or our own performance. And so with kids that have struggled with that, I just say, well, what if you say you don't care? Let's see how you do. Like those that really know the, the information and seem really smart, I, I, I actually challenge them to just try it and not care. And they tend to have the same outcome that I had too as a teenager. And they start performing a lot better. So there really is a big uh, plus to letting go, releasing the stress because we're really don't want to be in control. And sometimes we think we're in, in control, but we're really not, right? There's very little in life that we have control <laughs> over when we really, oh my gosh. that can be a whole other podcast. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I could just sit here and talk forever, but I know we have to come to a close and I have this, I want to ask you, you know, just what what would you have a, as a word of encouragement for people who are struggling with anxiety? What would be your voice to them? And, you know, I found this quote, and it's kind of deep, but I think it kind of says a lot. Um, there was a story... Uh, When I look back at all these worries, I remember a story of an old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. And I think about how anxiety robs us, steals our joy, affects relationships, um, and so many things that we imagine I mean, there are real struggles in life, but then there's a lot of things that we imagine that never happen, but what we stole from ourselves because we let anxiety rule and reign. So what would be like a final encouragement to those that are listening about anxiety from you? 
Yeah. You know, and based off that quote, um, anxiety is probably one of the biggest thieves in our life for sure. Mm. And I think that the only way to gain control is to ground yourself in the very present moment and nothing more. I'm not saying don't plan for the future financially or, you know, family wise or things like that. You want to take moments to do that. You put parameters around that. You close that door for that future planning or the future thinking. Everything else day to day is just be here, right here, right now. That I believe that I could say amen to that and find community like you shared earlier just to share your heart. Yeah. 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 When you're having those anxious moments, reach out to that friend that will make you laugh or release the stress or um, that will accept you as you are. And so that you feel connected and heard for sure. Cause we can help ground one another. Absolutely. And, and the power of laughter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love that. I'm going to remember that to be present, to be present as I go through my day, just bring it all here in front of me. And I love the five, four, three, two, one. I'd loved all of that. I'd loved even technically saying I'm picking up a glass and I'm going to drink water, like actually train my brain to be in the present. Shyla, you have been such a phenomenal guest. Oh, I could just listen to you all day. Please share with us, and I'm going to have all of your information in my show notes, but if you wanted to just let everyone know, how can they connect with you? Thank you. So my website is innermatter.net, and it really is inner like inside because change happens from the inside out. And then my social emotional learning program for secondary students is rockmycampus.com. You can visit either website or follow me on social media to get in touch with me. I highly recommend that everyone just connects with Shyla. She's a, a fountain of life, a wealth of information. And just listening to you today, I've learned so much, so much that I can share with other people as well, because isn't that what life is all about? We learn from one another and br- bring that wisdom and knowledge to help others. And Shyla, you are so gifted. You are such a light in the world. And I thank you so much for being on the Transition Bridge podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure talking with you. And as I could, I could talk with you for days, <laughs> all of these topics. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much, Debbie. You are so welcome. And I want to thank all of you who have come in to listen today. You know, we all come together as a village to embrace, grow, and be transformed by the purpose and power of our transitions. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A dot com.